Shit. Polo. Am I doing Mark? <laughs> Who's doing Marco? Who's doing Polo? Marco. Marco. Okay, Polo. Marco. Okay. Polo. Okay, that was yeah, okay, I got it. That was pretty quick. <laughs> Can we keep Christ. that in let's keep that in the front of the show for everybody? Why not? <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, this is now the intro <laughs> to episode 274 of the Forces Comic News podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside uh, my co-host, Marco, also named Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, the very professional podcast, episode 274. Um, yeah, we we have a we have a special guest today. I don't want to. I don't want you know people think we're we're doing that. So. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. Chris bows out of the interview because he just became overcome with some greatness uh, from Pat Shan and had to go buy all his comic books. But we do have Pat Shan on the show today, um, a writer for uh, Zenoscope. Um, he's had about like 20-something Kickstarters with his own publishing company, um, Space Between. And he's got a uh, cheeky on Kickstarter right now. If you've gone to Kickstarter and looked for comics... It's almost impossible not to see Cheeky because it's been at the top of the charts for, I don't know, as long as it's been funded so or going on for the uh, campaign. And then we talk about, uh, we're going to talk about his um, his new book, Oz of the Barb. So stick around for that. Him and I have a little chat. And uh, yeah, the uh, we were having some lag issues. So you got to experience the Marco Polo check that I just came up with. <laughs> but I think you were fucking with me there a little bit. Yeah, so I literally um, do the intro, and then I'm never heard from again in the entire interview. So enjoy that, everybody. You know, I, I've left you alone on some interviews, so I figured we'd give you a break this week, and uh, we'll just go from there. But yeah. 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 So. Glad to have you back. I missed you. I mean, I, and it's so funny because the interview, um, I, I forget, it, we, had a, we had a guest on a while ago where we talked about cheesecake covers. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know what a cheesecake cover is, is like a, a cover where you have like a scantily clad woman on the front m- more for like collect collectible purposes. And it has nothing to do with the story. It's, you know, like leading you to think, Oh, it's going to be like a, like a, a porn book or something. That's not the case, but we get it. We get a good explanation of it, which I don't think we got the first time. <laughs> um, no, we got a very um, luxury, um, over the top political yeah. answer last yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. And I will say Pat does a very eloquent job of explaining, you know, the misconceptions and, and, be, and that's like the whole basis of his new Kickstarter of like flipping it around and such a great interview. So look forward to that. He's a cool dude. Got to have him back when Chris can talk to him. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. A, a uh, rare time that, when Chris yeah. doesn't get to talk to the guest, but Mike does. <laughs> yeah, wow, that never happens. That was like <laughs> he was like, "Is he is he in?" I'm like, "Oh, he's here. Don't worry, I'll just keep going." <laughs> yeah, he's fine. <laughs> oh man, good stuff. Welcome everyone. We're glad you're here. Um, For video listeners, I- you can tell I'm a little frustrated because there's a little bit of hair coming out of the hat. That's when yeah. you know the frustration's real. <laughs> yeah. If you could see Chris's hair under the hat, that means he's he's been like plugging in cords, unplugging cords, trying to get his internet to work, and now he's a little flustered. But the show must go on. Um, yeah. So, anything new going on with you? <laughs> I purchased a PS Five finally. 
Oh, wow. I was just thinking about signing up for Sony Direct. So how did you get your hands on one? Um, so GameStop did one of their things and they sent out emails about it. I called my local one. They had like four of them the next day. Um, and it wasn't like as big of a BS bundle as they normally could do. Uh, it came with mm-hmm. like an extra controller and a charging station a year PS plus, And it was a little bit more than standard price, obviously. But I was like, eh, those right. are all things I could use with it. So why not? Let's do mm-hmm. it. Now you got the, you got the regular one, not the digital bundle, right? Or the digital uh, the disc PS1. one, yeah, yeah. So, what what games did you get with it? Have you tried anything out yet? Um, I didn't buy any games with it, but I did upgrade to the like extra or whatever it's called, and mm-hmm. that has it's basically Game Pass. Even though Sony doesn't oh, want you okay. to think it's just Game Pass, but it's Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just game but Pass. Miles Morales, Spider Man's on it, so I've been playing that. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, man, I want a PS Five. I mean, like. The only reason I would need for a PS5 is Demon Souls, which I can probably find a, a cracked modded version that looks real or like HD version somewhere on the internet for my PC, but like it's not the same, you know. Yeah, I like my Japanese role playing games, so like I'm gonna get uh, Final Fantasy Seven. Um, I'll finally mm-hmm. be able to play. Um, I know it's on PS4, but I'm uh, psycho. So when I heard it was on PS5, it's like, well, I have to play it on PS5. Um, yep. Of course. And then, you know, 16 is coming out, a bunch of other stuff that I really enjoy. So I'm excited to have it. And then the exclusives, yeah. you know. I, uh, you'll, we don't get to talk about video games a lot on here, but I did pre order or put, you know, the, my $5 down for the Steam Deck. Uh, hopefully getting it sometime oh. in October. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I, hopefully getting it by October. We'll see because I'm in like the, the fourth quarter now for delivery yeah i ordered it back in i think i ordered this back in april or may and it still wasn't going to get delivered till october so and it's because of the hype behind it. a lot of people are saying it's you know it's worth it uh it's far it exceeds all the all the things they thought it would and i have so many indie games that i want to play not on my switch because i own them on steam so (laughs) the best way to do it is have like a portable system where i can do that so uh, i can't wait but yeah, it's a yeah, cool device. I've heard some horror stories about the delivery um, yeah. method and everything. That's the only thing I'm worried about is like the it. delivery. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess we'll just jump into TV. I So there's no not a whole lot of TV going on right now. We're kind of in the slump. But uh, you did the. This is the episode six of Miss Marvel. This is the finale, right? Yes. So we could spoil this because I did watch the after credit scene because I had someone tell me that Miss Marvel was meh, but you should watch the after credit scene because it it's a big thing for the Marvel universe, cinematic universe as a whole, right? Yeah, so I I disagree with the meh. I, I'm really enjoying Miss Marvel. Um, okay, it's not the greatest show ever, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's fun. There's like one bad episode in the whole bunch, in my opinion, and okay. um, this one was like the. It's the last episode. So there's a big fight scene. There's the big save. There's you know everything you expect, right? Um, and we she finally gets her like embiggen power. Like she still isn't stretchy, but mm-hmm. like she gets um the whatever that like diamond uh, green lantern thing that she's doing. Like she turns into the big mm-hmm. version of herself with the big fist and everything, which is really cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
But I guess we'll get to what everybody's talking about. So, yeah, it was revealed that she is a mutant, even though they don't necessarily say she has an X gene or something. But like, right. Anyone that's thinking that that's not where they're going is like is trying to kid themselves. Yeah, especially Um, because during the whole Fox and Marvel dispute, they weren't even allowed to use the word mutant. Right. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So and it's huge for multiple reasons. So uh, fans of the comic are mad because in the comic, she's an inhuman. Um, but so anyone that knows their history with Marvel and Fox and all that crap knows that like there was a period where Marvel was really pushing away from any, they weren't creating new mutants mm-hmm. uh, because then if they create a new mutant, then Fox gets to use it and Fox gets all the money right. uh, because I don't know if anyone knows this, but comics don't really make a whole lot of money. <laughs> shame shame yeah it sucks trust me it's it's my both of our passion in life but it, it's mm-hmm. just the truth and uh so they made her an inhuman but the original creators wanted her to be a mutant they thought it made more sense for her to be a mutant she was designed as a mutant so it's kind of almost correcting the mistake of the comic which is weird because it's usually the other way around um right so that's where that argument falls apart for me where people are like mad that she's not inhuman and also like what better way to, to start the mutants like right you, yeah you exactly. could start it with a new wolverine or something but that's tough that that would be yeah there's gonna be more scrutiny over all the other mutants than there would be to just do it with her so um, it starts that I, the uh the scene has the x the 90s x-men theme in it too right Yes. So it's it's yeah. It's like, come on, come on, everybody. What do you what are you thinking here? Yeah, I heard a few theories. Like, well, they could still do uh, something different with them. Like, could yes. Will they? No. So stop no. thinking it's going to go that way. It's just yeah. She's a mutant. Like that's what it is. Right. Um. And then there's an right. after credit scene that leads into the Marvels. Um. That's kind of confusing. Like something happens, and her and Carol like switch places. Hmm. And uh, Brie Larson actually shows up and like does a scene. So it was that was oh. cool to see Brie back, and she's got like a new suit and everything, and her long hair back. Um, oh, yeah, sick. it was it was a good episode. I really enjoyed the series. Damn. I think it's worth All watching right. for any MCU fan. It's only six episodes too. It's not a whole lot to commit to, you know. Yeah, it's far from my favorite. Um, it's it's in the tier with Falcon and Winter Soldier, to be honest with you. I think it's a little better than Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it's in that mm-hmm. tier for me. But I think okay. it's worth watching. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, well, let's jump to this amazing interview we have with Pat Shan, and we'll see all of our adoring fans on the other side. All right, everybody, we got another very special guest for you all. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Mr. Pat Shand. Welcome to the show, Pat. Hello. Hey, Pat. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be yeah. here. Yeah, thanks. We're happy to have you here, man, after some technical difficulties. Thanks for staying with us. Oh, it's um, all good. It's all good. That, I mean, <laughs> dude, I've seen some, some insanity. That was nothing. Okay. Yeah. I always go back to the story of uh, how we set up uh, Rob Venditti's laptop for him during an interview once. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that took quite a while but i was like we're getting this interview um yeah so glad to have you here it's your first time uh before we talk about some of the stuff you're doing uh and all the stuff that you've done you've done quite a bit so uh let's hear your origin story um how you got into this this wacky world of comics 
All right, origin story. Um, you know, as a kid, I read comics very passively. I was given this uh, uh, this shoebox full of comics, and I would go through it, and it wasn't really that much for me. You know, um, I would see stuff like Rocketeer, which was okay. You know, I I, I enjoyed seeing Betty Page at the time, um, but in that box was Creepshow by Stephen King and Bernie Wrightson, and that's nice. the one that I kind of like glommed onto as you know what comics could do. And mm-hmm. unlike the other ones, you know, it was a trade. It was this oversized trade. At the time, I didn't know this, but they didn't even do that kind of thing. That 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 was just very strange. So I, I enjoyed the longer form in that format a lot, but I mostly read uh, novels. You know, I was a big fan of fantasy, young adult, of horror. Um, so when I began to write and just try to get my stuff published, I was doing more prose. Uh, short stories, novel pitches. I was uh, going the um, the lit agent route, just pursuing that. Um, and more and more, I began to try different kinds of writing. I tried writing scripts for TV. I tried um, and, and had some success doing uh, off-Broadway off theater. Uh, and that was where I started to cool. kind of, you know, do it professionally and develop a name. And I was intrigued by how how many different avenues there were of writing. And I began to kind of gravitate more toward script, wanting to do theater, wanting to write for TV. So I started to study more TV shows and I would start to see these TV shows like uh, supernatural and Buffy and angel would be continued as comics. And I, I never really thought of, you know, who writes comics at that point. So I started to pick them up and see that the same TV show writers who were writing the show were on the comic too, which gave it this feeling of that it was legit, that I, at the time, I needed to kind of woo me over. But then when I started to read comics and read these stories continue, I realized how cool they were, you know, how they were playing with this format that was sort of this in-between between television and prose where you had that image, but you can control the own, your pace of it the same way as prose. And I was very intrigued by that level of, you know, writer's control in the pacing of the uh, comic. And the, the collaborative aspect of it reminded me of theater. You know, you're working directly with an artist, colorist, letterer. And in theater, it's such a collaborative, you know, you sit down, you workshop the play, you hear the actors say it over and over and over. And I liked that collaboration. So I started to try writing comics. You know, I I wrote about comics. I I wrote test scripts. And I began to uh, write reviews for the comics that I was reading, like those licensed comics. Uh, I I got in good with IDW because they were doing Angel at the time. And uh, I began to sort of like woo the editors by doing those reviews, interviews. And... uh, then I, I began to annoy them by sending them scripts, full full stories. Nice. Um, and they liked them enough that, you know, they, they didn't give me a huge shot on the title when it was big for them because it was their number one title. But when they lost the title to Dark Horse, I talked to Chris Ryle at a con, and he told me that they were doing this one final uh, one shot for Angel. And uh, he... And Mariah Heener at the time, who was the editor and co-writer on Angel, uh, both gave me a shot to have a short story in that Angel. Uh, it was called Angel Yearbook. And that was, you know, my uh, eight-mile w- one shot, you know? And I yeah, didn't yeah. a chance to blow, dude. I did it. <laughs> I pitched. I got it going. And 
I sold it everywhere. It was, dude, ah, it was a two-page story. It was a two-page yeah, story. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but when I used my credit, I just said I wrote Angel Yearbook. You know, I didn't have yeah. to say two pages. It's just the credit is the right. credit. Yeah. Uh, so I took that to uh, different publishers like Big Dog Inc., Zenoscope, and uh, Zenoscope at the time had Charmed. And that was, you know, their big license. So I saw that as a natural, you know, pitch for Charm that, you know, they were both right. on the same network, both kind mm-hmm. of the same vibe, even though, you know, I always found Buffy and Angel more adult and Charmed a bit more, you know, family oriented. Uh, I thought it was still an easy step. And yeah, it, it worked. They said yes immediately. Uh, they liked the sample as short as it was. And they gave me Charmed Season 10, which took a long time to happen. But as I was waiting, I began to uh, get other smaller gigs from Zenoscope. And I was made staff writer there after proving myself uh, that for four or five years. And then uh, began to break more into the independent circuit on Kickstarter and publishers like Black Mask and Scout, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah, and the... um the relationship you have with Zenoscope now, I mean, you've wrote quite a, quite a lot of books for them, right? So you said oh, you're yeah, a staff yeah. writer. Yeah. Yeah. So there yeah. was a time where, you know, I, I was just thinking about this. It was the busiest time of my life. I would wake up in the morning, be a barista at Starbucks. I would drive then to uh, a college where I taught script writing and screenwriting. And then, and this was one year out of college. They hired me on, on my comic book credits, you know? So I, I taught that. And then I would go home and write scripts. At, at the time, I was writing between seven or eight comics for Zenoscope per month. And wow. it was the craziest time of my life. And n- now it's different because now I'm more um, also in the admin role of the publishing company that I run Space Between. Mm-hmm. But it, it was insane. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was quite a quite a lot of comics you were writing. <laughs> it's yeah. like you're like a script machine, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Charm for a minute. Season ten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was there was there a lot of weight on on writing that story or? Yeah, because um, when I submitted my idea, because they had a writer that was steady, Paul Paul Roditis. He was uh, writing season nine, and he's since become a great friend of mine who has been a shepherd of my career in multiple different ways. Um, Paul was writing season nine and I didn't want to step on his toes. You know, he was doing a a good job. I read it, you know, to kind of catch his vibe. And my idea was to do, to pitch a mini series in between his seasons to do season nine for Paul. I'll do my mini series as, as as a sort of, you know, a three issue thing that they can follow one character. And then he would pick up season 11, but Paul uh, was done. He had told his story. He didn't want to do season 10 um, and he helped me instead in an immense way by staying on for the first arc as editor. And he sort of, uh, just, dude, the fan base is very intense there, you know? I can imagine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Paul staying on as editor, he helped me, uh, sort of, he was like the, the person who coaches you into the pool, you know, when you know it's going to be too cold. And he was a huge help there. He um, talked me through working with licensors because I hadn't before. And so, yeah, uh, Paul was my shepherd there. And I wrote season uh, season 10 after a long wait um, because it, it was a licensor thing. You know, that 
that has impacted my career in multiple different ways. Uh, just waiting for licensors, working for licensors, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, that's one way to go from the the two page story. <laughs> to oh another, yeah, I mean yeah. it was a two page story, and the yeah. charm gig was a twenty issue gig. Yeah, they even that's started as twenty four issues. Uh, yeah, basically ongoing. Um, but the license was expiring, and, and you know, yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about, so you, you have your own publishing company. Now, when did that come into the, the fold there? Uh, well, you know, I went to Kickstarter. Uh, mm-hmm. I was fresh out of my time at Xenoscope and, you know, I, I still write for them here and there and, uh, they're still good friends of mine, but I was, you know, locked into an exclusive contract where I was for years, um, becoming the voice of those characters of those titles. And we, we both felt that, you know, I didn't want to be seen as someone who just writes Xenoscope and Xenoscope certainly didn't want to be seen as just the Pat Shan company because they had, they were their own writers too, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, um, I wanted to go and I was thinking, uh, the, the, these gigs here and there, they were very nice toward the end about letting me do other work for hire. I just had to ask and they always said yes. So that was mm-hmm. very cool. And it kind of prepped me to do this Kickstarter. You know, I wanted to try different things and grow in my career as my own voice. And I went onto Kickstarter with my series Destiny New York. The idea was to do, uh, you know, one volume that could read as a standalone, but then hopefully expand and grow the series into an ongoing series. And when I saw the functionality of Kickstarter and what it could mean for me, I knew that it couldn't be just this one. I had to make this series ongoing and I had to bring other ideas to the platform because I loved it. So as soon as I made destiny New York and funded that volume one, um, I decided that I had to make a, a company, you know, I had to make a business so I could protect myself in certain ways, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tax shit, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought it was good to also eventually work toward developing a team. You know, I was very inspired by how, how Joe and Ralph at Zenoscope had developed their team and their brand. And so I made Space Between Entertainment, which it was originally called Continuity Entertainment, because uh, that that's based on a novel series that I was working on as a team that I hope to someday re- revitalize and do my own way. But I didn't know that there was Continuity Comics, you know, um, it it did not show up while we were, while we were looking for, for trademarks, uh, but it's there. I just, you know, I, I was not a huge comic historian growing up, so I, I got a call from a certain office that said, dude, like, your company can't be named that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Find so, another one. Yeah, so uh, my editor, Shannon, and I, Shannon Lee, we thought about it, and I don't even remember what pushed me to go on this because we had a, a few different titles. A few of them, thank God I didn't go with. I look back and I'm like, really? I thought that? But Space Between is the brand. That's the team. And yeah, we, we are doing our now 23rd Kickstarter as a team. Awesome. Yeah, so you've had great success there. And you've built, I mean, we can talk about your Kickstarter now. Uh, Cheeky, yeah. I mean, clearly you have a fan base. I mean, this is what... A, as far as our guests go, I mean, uh, this is probably one of the largest backers we've seen. I, I mean, over 1,600 backers. It's a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's so a lot. Talk, let's talk Cheeky and, and what you did with, with the um, the previous book, too, and then what you're doing now. 
Yeah. All right. So Cheeky is a graphic novel. It is made up of four. Well, now five because we've expanded. Uh, five stories that stand alone, but then at the end they overlap in exciting and emotional and humorous ways about mm-hmm. sex. Uh, okay. The idea it actually kind of stems from from my time at Zenoscope. Zenoscope would uh, they they market by doing these covers that have cheesecake elements. You know, they yeah, do right. Sexy covers that kind of have um, y- you know people who don't understand that the uh, collector's market and don't read the books, don't really know what they are sometimes. So some people would often come to me on either online or at cons and assume that it was porn. When the truth is, Zenoscope books, you know, they, they don't even have nudity at all. They're action right. adventure books. The right. covers are a certain way, and that's only a portion of the covers. They do an A cover, which is a character pose, a B cover, which is a scene, and a C cover as, as a pinup. Most mm-hmm. of what people see that trend online are the convention exclusive covers, you know? Right, yeah. So mm-hmm. th- yeah, there's this faulty perception, and I would always take offense at that porn thing because I was like, wow, you are so far off the mark. But I began to think, wouldn't it be a cooler thing to, instead of getting offended, wouldn't, wouldn't it be fun to internalize that and make a porn that is more character-driven, more emotional, and funnier than what those writers could even imagine, you know? Right, right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so my, my wife and I do uh, Cheeky. It's the second book in our adult line. We did Thirsty and Cheeky. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the idea is to just approach stories about sex with no shame, stories right. that have the same kind of character elements where it isn't like, I mean – you probably have seen porn before where the story is just like in service of the sex, you know? You, yeah. Right. Right. It, it's all set up and the sex is payoff. Yeah. In, in thirsty and cheeky, the, the characters arc, there is not this sex as the goal. It's, mm-hmm. it's about sex, about how sex impacts characters lives, about their anxieties and their desires and, and what, what, it's, what, what that says about them, you know, mm-hmm. that's, it, it's oh so God. funny. It's so funny you now, bring that now up. I just see the fuck out of me. Sorry. I've been sitting there for about five minutes. <laughs> really? I've been interacting via my eyeballs with the guy. On yeah, the it's pretty really? awesome. You didn't even know I was there, and I thought you were ignoring my ass. I would never ignore you. This is my wife, Annie. I just want to say it smells really good in here. I, I made dinner. She's also the oh, co-writer okay. of Cheeky and Thirsty. Awesome. Welcome. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that was amazing. I thought you saw her. I was like, oh. <laughs> No, my heart That's, is pounding right now, dude. Oh, I thought I thought you were just that into the book, man. <laughs> no, I, I mean I'm clearly yeah. very unobserving, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's funny you bring up those covers. Uh, I I know Chris is here and he can hear us. I don't know if we can hear him, but uh, yeah, I can hear you. He brought up that we had a we had a writer on before. Um, I don't know if it was for Zenoscope, but we had talked about the um the cheesecake covers, and I know Chris, you had a question about that before, and we kind of just addressed it right now. Um, the, and that was, it was like, we, we didn't understand the whole cheesecake cover idea because when you read, and I, cause I've read some of those stories, like the wonderland stories and stuff, and it is just action adventure. So, right. um, I love that you took that and you flipped it for your Kickstarter. Yeah. Like, because the thing is, you know, there's, um, there, there is an audience for that, that I think a lot of the comics community of writers and, and even artists don't understand. And that is the collector's market. Okay, that is Mm -hmm. those books are done in a style that appeals to the collector's market where they don't, you know, they don't 
look at it as, oh, why is the cover different from the story? They don't see it that way at all. It's an art piece the same way a trading card is to them. And that is a huge part of the comics community. And I think that that kind of scares some writers and some artists because it becomes not about their story. And it becomes, I mean, the same way that some some people don't like how people slab comics, you know. But this market is huge. It's huge in the DM. It's huge on Kickstarter. And it's huge direct for publishers. And some publishers like... um. Zenoscope, Black Mask Studios, Scout, Dynamite are really appealing to the collector as well as the people who love and appreciate the story arcs. And that is a thing that the audience is different than you would assume. You know, I've seen a, a lot of people assuming that the people who collect those are like these like loser dudes who like jerk mm-hmm. up to the covers. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The truth is, I'd say go to a Zenoscope booth and note the amount of people at the booth who are women. That that aesthetic is a major appeal to an audience that these writers who would critique Zenoscope don't understand in any way. And they're leaving a portion of what they could be making that could help make, make them a career on the table. Right, right. Um, and that's interesting too. And, uh, it's funny you say that. Cause like, you know, people have all these perceptions about, um, about fan bases for things. And it's like, you know, don't, I mean, everybody has their own vice and what they enjoy. And it's like, just let them do their thing, let them enjoy what, and, and like you said, when you go to the booth, it's mostly women. So it's like your perceptions are usually wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Back to the Kickstarter. I mean, you don't need our help, but uh, no. I mean, still, yeah. listen, listen. Every single bit of either you know talking about it publicly here or just a, a pledge, anything is helpful because the truth is, while Cheeky itself is doing well, while it's getting bigger, this also is helping me put lower goals for other campaigns that would be harder to fund. You know, it's all in service of the overall vision. So this is. Definitely a life-changing campaign, but every time I get a pledge, I'm still really, really happy. You know, it's I haven't really gotten used to doing well on, on Kickstarter. I, I do expect to hit a certain amount of backers, of course. You know, I've developed my brand that way, and I've um, you know, I've worked hard at getting an audience here, but. I I would definitely be foolish to sort of discount and just take for granted that, you know, not every campaign will be this for sure. For sure. You know? Right. Um, and we were talking earlier, sex sells. So like I, and it's, and it's funny because like, I knew we had this interview and every time I go to Kickstarter for like, you know, the top comics just at night, just to check out what's going on. Yours has been on the top for, I don't know how long. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's been up there as like the the first search or first recommendation. Um, long time, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's. Uh, a, I'm very happy about it. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, I on day one, I was like, oh, it's different, right? <laughs> yeah, know? right, right. This one, this one is different, right. but <laughs> it was the next day where I was like. Oh shit! You know this is kind of like day two did as well as like a really good day one. Yeah, right. And I was like, should, what? Yeah. day three is like a really good day one too, and <laughs> it really uh, it changed the scope of this yep. thing for me. You know. Yep. 
Yeah, that and that's a testament too, because typically after day one, day two, you'll see a drop off for a while, and you usually hit a slump like in the middle of the the uh, campaign, right? Or is, yes. is that true for some of your older ones? Oh yeah, that's true for mm-hmm. everyone of my older ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it's probably it's probably a nice uh, relief to see how this is doing. And we were talking about some of the um, some of the different pledges and things and like uh, things you're doing. You have a lot of different art prints. Um, you talked about a lot of people got in on the fifty dollar reward this yeah, uh, this year because yeah. you're doing a, a a pretty low price bundle, right? So maybe we'll talk about yes. that one. Yeah, my plan there, and this is the advice that I actually gave on Kickstarter. I mean, on Twitter today, I I, I did a thread of everything that I've learned, just one tidbit of knowledge that I took away from every campaign that I've done, and this is campaign twenty three. Um, and a major thing that I learned, I believe, my, my first time doing it was Thirsty, possibly, where it, in the past, I would do, you know, I would see these creators do these big bundles, you know, $200, $300, where they get all this merch, you know, everything. Everything that's on the campaign, you get. So I was seeing about maybe 7 to 10 high-end 15 backers on those high high levels for me, and... I was looking at what I was offering and I was like, you know, it's very print driven. It's, you know, I do my variants, but it's a lot of money. What if I take away a bunch of those items that people might see as just padding and I give them a really killer level and make it as low price as possible. So they look at at the campaign. The main offering is cheeky with two different covers, the main cover and the Kickstarter variant. You get that for 40. Or spends $10 extra, you get a book plate, two prints, and a pin. That, to people, is a no-brainer. So I saw that that ceiling of 15 disappear. So now, instead of 200, I, I do 50, and I have, on that level, 265 backers. Mm. So that, wow. it's a That's no-brainer amazing. for me to yeah. offer a better value at a lower profit, but watch that number increase so i end up making more in the long run and also leaving backers happier because they are getting a bunch of cool stuff for very 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 low yeah 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 so in the long run it's it's a great business decision for you um and there's still 12 days to go so i can't see how how high it gets up to um maybe maybe uh a hundred thousand we'll see (laughs) I, i mean i was talking to someone today you know uh the final two days, you know, at 48 hours, everyone who has followed but not backed will get an email saying, right. hey, yep. get on this shit, you know, and yeah. and they'll check it out. And hopefully, you know, the, the last two days are seen as almost like a light launch day. So we could have a crazy eventuality and it hit 100,000. That would be absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. But say we say we don't do that. Say this yeah. is it. I- mm-hmm. I'm fine. You know, I- I'm yeah. very, I'm very pleased. I'm very happy. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. That's awesome. Uh, and, and, be- you know, before we let you go, we got to talk about this, this other book you have going on with uh, scout comics. Um, mm, yeah. I-, yeah. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Aza the barbed. Yes. So, uh, give is- us the lowdown. Yeah. It's a new creator on series that I'm doing with artist Rio Burton. Uh, this is a fantasy about a woman who was banished from her city. Uh, she is left to guard this ancient evil 
And if she guards it for, for long enough, she will be free of this role and also free to roam the land. But this ancient evil gets unleashed and she has to decide whether she's going to save the city that banished her or kind of just live her own life. Awesome. And this was just an idea you had. So how, how did it come about? You started working with scout. Cause we, we see a lot of amazing stuff, especially fantasy stuff coming from scout lately. Well, this one actually was kind of the reverse often. I mean, especially with Kickstarter, I will, you know, have an idea and the artists who work for me are largely all work for hire. Um, with as of the barbed real Burton had the core of the idea came to me and we talked about the designs together and I turned the idea into a plot outline and then scripts and yeah. So it kind of happened in the reverse and that's, oh, wow. yeah, that, 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 that's something I, I would love to happen more often. You know, there's artists that I would love to work with that, you know, there's a limit to how, much time I could put into idea development with what I already have going. You know, I have so many like kernels of ideas that I haven't developed, but it would definitely light a fire under me. If an artist who I love came to me with an idea and designs and wanted to co-create with me, that that's yeah, an amazing yeah. feeling that kind of hits different as, as far as collaboration, you know? Right. Um, right. And yes, yeah, scout and I were talking about actually destiny New York. Um, okay. Wow. Day. And that ended up going through Black Mask because of just the way the conversations lined up and what, what I chose at the time. But I still wanted to work with Scout pretty badly. It just didn't work out on that one title. So uh, we brought Azza to Scout through Charlie Stickney, who is a friend of mine. He, uh, he writes White Ash, and he is co-publisher at Scout. Uh, Charlie is... I mean, you know, you, you see your peers in the comics industry. Charlie is a guy that I would hang out with outside of comics, which, uh, you know, is rare. I'm an asshole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't see that. What do you mean? Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, dude, you know, Char Charlie liked it and Charlie helped shepherd the title into what's happening now which is that it's hitting shelves in september and uh right now today is um the sunday i think it's sunday right yep it's sunday yep Sunday before comic-con and, and at comic-con i'm going to appear with scout and i'm going to sign uh the first taste of Azza, which is a metal cover um oh man of number one the artist by on the cover by liana kangas uh she'll be oh, there i love her signing. her 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 covers are amazing. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's going to be sick, dude. Yeah. It's going to, um, I'm there on Friday and Saturday signing at scout. Um, the same day I'm signing some older stuff with Zenoscope. I believe it's a push for Robin hood, which was at the time my main title there. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. And now I'm doing a Van Helsing run. Uh, my second Van Helsing run. So hopefully that they'll have some single issues there for the newer stuff. And mm -hmm. lastly, at San Diego, I'm doing a Black Mask signing. That they're going to have, I believe, um, two versions of a con-exclusive cover for Destiny New York 1. So mm -hmm. I will be there for those three publishers. That's amazing. I'm, I'm getting so jealous hearing about all the amazing variants uh, Scout and like Vault Comics are doing for San Diego. I'm like, I got to get my hands on some of these. Yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of yeah. Course, of course. Yeah. That's that's so cool. Uh, Leanna has been on the show before and she's she's so great. She said Destroy is is an awesome 
book and her art is just absolutely amazing. So oh, it sure is. Yeah. Shout out yeah. to uh, Joe Corallo too, who wrote, she yeah, said, yeah. Dry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That That's a great series. Joe's the man. Um, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, Pat, thank you so much. Um, you know, this is, this is such a fun interview and I we're going to have the Kickstarter link in the show notes below for everybody. Um, if we want our listeners and viewers to follow you and all the cool stuff you're doing, where can we send them? Uh, you can go on to uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok for my twerk videos at Pat Shand. Twerk videos? Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, ti- tinyletter.com slash Pat Shand is my uh, newsletter. And my Etsy store is Space Between Comics. Uh, I do a Destiny, De- Destiny New York trading card game promo card for every oh. comic I do. And while okay. I'm at the con, any purchase gets the card, and any uh, one who wants to just buy the card outright can do so as well. That's awesome! What a what a cool little idea you have there too. That's amazing. Thanks. Um, I'll actually show you the trading card for the show right yeah. now. This is by Joe Picar, who actually is working on Shiki. This is our Destiny New York oh, holographic. Holographic. Oh come featuring, on, man! You're kidding. Uh, this is a Taylor, who is a character in Destiny New York, and is the lead of Smokeweed See the Future. Oh my god! Amazing. You just had to make it shiny. See, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I had to. <laughs> That's yeah. all. It's very shiny. Everybody who can't, who's just listening, it's you got to get your hands on that. So it is. It sure is. Uh, Pat, thanks again. Uh, best of luck to you, and uh, we'd love to have you back anytime. Thanks a lot. And we're back on the other side. On the other side, Chris is back too. Everybody, wow, that was great. Um, Pat's such a cool dude. Um, I, so go support him. You know, look out for uh, As of the Barbed. Check out Cheeky on Kickstarter. Like I said, if you open up comics on Kickstarter, it's hard to avoid that book. Um, yeah, and love to have him back. Very cool dude. Uh, so yeah, I guess we'll just jump into the comic news, Chris. Let's do it. There's a whole oh, lot you're of it. Very, yeah. <laughs> I did read quite a few books. Um, and I have, I have, I, I want to talk about some new products that I've seen out in the wild for, for comics. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just start with that. So, uh, do you remember a book? Um, oh my God. The, uh, murder Falcon. Yes. So I was in, uh, Barnes and Noble, just hanging out, looking around, which they have. A, I'm really, I'm really pumped to see Barnes and Noble has a great, like indie comics uh, section, like a whole another bookshelf just that's not Marvel DC. They, and then image has their own bookshelf. And then they have like vault comics, scout comics, Ahoy comics. And people are, someone's actually ordering all those for Barnes and Noble, which is cool to see. But the murder Falcon, I don't know if you've seen this has a, a deluxe hardcover edition out. Mm-hmm. And it's like the cover is like the, the letters on it are foil and even the binding has like foil, like Murder Falcon. So like, if you have it on your bookshelf, the it's still like reflective. I was like, I need to buy this for myself, and it was like thirty <laughs> bucks. I was like, Wow, yeah, yeah. I, I but mean, those I, are I'm usually fifty and up. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I was so shocked. Um, so yeah, go check it out. And, and even like a lot of the Vault comics, uh, there's some really cool stuff there. And those trades are like, you know, the delu- even the hardcovers are like 20, 25 bucks. So I think the barbaric one I got was 25, which is not bad at all. Um, so yeah, go check it out. I know like if the option is, 
Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, I'd probably go to Barnes and Nobles and buy something just because they're physically ordering stuff to keep in their store, you know. But yeah, it's good that they do um, that because um, it's going to reach people that comic shops aren't. And as much as I love right. comic shop, yeah. like it's just it's another audience that we desperately need. Yeah, I'm not too impressed with my comic shops around here as of lately. But <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk comic news. Um, Christopher Cantwell. This is super exciting for Chris announced on Twitter that he's running a new Namor series. The series will be an alternate future story, a hundred years in the future where the earth is mostly covered in water. The series will feature art by Pascal Ferry, uh, water world. <laughs> yep. And yeah. Yeah. Love Prince Namor. Um, I was, I love Prince Namor for a while now uh, him being in the invaders and all the old stories of him and cap he's just a great character uh and the idea of i mean it's so namor is just an angry aquaman like that's what he is (laughs) and the idea of either character and i would be interested to see someone do it at dc as well because it is going to be a little different of how aquaman will approach it but the idea of a character like that in a water world, and he now is the ruler of Earth, especially Namor, who's kind of a much more mm-hmm. brutal of a ruler than Aquaman was. I'm so excited for this. And for Cantwell mm-hmm. to be the one writing it, and for Pascal Ferry yeah. to be the one doing the art, I'm in. 100% I'm in. Yeah, That's, that's a pretty cool idea. I might even check out the uh, first issue. Um. The cover is amazing, and I do like that idea. It's almost like a, it's he's almost like a Black Adam esque character, right? He's an anti hero. Yeah, like he's gone or in he and out. So villain. like, yeah, even during so during World War Two, he was more of a hero, but it was because um, so much of the warfare was happening in U boats and everything, and he ended uh, up teaming up with Cap. Okay. But then as he grew, he was also kind of his own benevolent figure and he had like this rivalry with Wakanda and there's just he's a great character to follow um and he never unlike Aquaman he never really gives up the throne like he's a guy that thrives for the throne and lives to be on the throne so like yeah it's just I'm super excited for this book Mm -hmm. cool uh and apparently a hundred years he doesn't really age because he still looks pretty young Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, apparently. From that um, cover at least. Yeah, no yeah, beard or anything. You know, Atlanteans, you know, they know how to age. <laughs> yeah. Um after Polarity LTD's recent acquisition of Oni Press um and Oni Lion Forge Publishing, it seems that the parent company has decided to lay off a majority of the staff and cancel their San Diego Comic Con appearance. Uh it's the move was said to it made in order to put the brand in place for long-term success. But yeah, I've seen some of these tweets going out from people that were working at Oni press. So uh, really great talent over there. And it's really sad to see them just get thrown out into the, um, into the industry like that. Uh, I wish them all the best, but I would say that with most companies, your biggest asset is the people you already have working there. So especially the talented ones over the, at those, at those companies. So really, it was really strange to see that last week. Yeah, it was a strange thing all around. Uh, hopefully everybody lands on their feet, but I know a lot of people that work in these kinds of industries, like 
the unfortunate reality of any entertainment industry and even like a lot of reporters and everything, it's not as much, I should say entertainment reporters. It's not as much a job that you retire at. You don't really, you don't stay there your whole life for the most part. I mean, if you're really, really successful in your gym lean, you make it to the top of DC or your CB Sabalski and make it to the top of Marvel. Yeah. But, um, there is turnover in those positions a lot. So it's, it's unfortunate, sad, but it's not super surprising to me. The way they did it was super surprising. Like they, and unfortunate. So I hope everybody mm-hmm. lands on their feet, does their best. And maybe this will lead to better things from other people uh, or from other publishers from these people. So, yep. Um, okay. Let's talk about what we read this week. Uh, I have a, um, I have a Kickstarter uh, trade here. If you remember my story from California, I got to meet um, uh, Keith Foster, and the art uh, is by Lance Pilgrim. This is called Three Protectors. It's a it was a Kickstarter trade that came out basically kung fu in space. Um, you have these characters that are like the Watchers, and they host this like kung fu tournament um, with like three different protectors. And they fight on this planet and the winner of the the fight gets this like ultimate prize. And then, you know, there's a twist at the end of like what happens and, um, and the three different people from the planets. It's really cool. And it seems like they're setting up to do more. Um, if you like, if you like old school, like Kung Fu movies, like I do, and you also like sci-fi, uh, there isn't a whole lot like, you know, they leave it open to, um, to learning more about like these gods and like why, and there's some setup of like, okay, one of the contestants wants to just like take them on after he wins the tournament. Um, really cool. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. And I got to meet Keith Foster in a comic shop and I overheard him talking about this book, uh, after I had backed it on Kickstarter. So it was just a weird coincidence, but, uh, I think you would like it too, Chris. This is uh, the invader comic. What else did I have? Uh, three protectors. Oh yes, it is Invader. Yes, yep. Okay. Yeah, it's from Invader Publishing. Yep. Um, I just started the uh, first trade of uh, Nightwing by Tom Taylor because I've heard such good things. So liking that so far. Uh, and I know I keep talking about Hoopla because I'm all about the library right now. But the um, they have some '60s Batman trades on there, so you know I'll be reading those next. <laughs> uh, I read Mindset Number One, really good, but also like really creepy, uh, because like you know it's 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 almost a little too real. Yeah, Zach Kaplan, uh, guest of the show a couple weeks ago. You know, it's it's about the future and like people and mind control and, and an interesting approach to it, dealing with apps and social media. So uh, check that out. Um, I caught up on some stuff. I had the uh, the Black Adam tie-ins for the movie with Hawkman. Uh, Hawkman isn't my favorite hero, but we get to see some action. We get to see some uh, different character interactions, and uh, and we get to see a skinny rock <laughs> drawn in the comics because it each one of the comics has this mini series in the back that deals with like the origin of the, the rocks character, black Adam. Um, and I don't know if you can see it here. Uh, I'll pull it in front of me that panel in the bottom corner. He's doing the, the people's eyebrow. <laughs> There's like a close up of his face and he's like, 
he's doing the he's doing the he's doing the people's brow like straight from wrestling. So uh, kudos to, to uh, somebody. Marco. Yeah, uh, Marco Santucci doing the art there. So kudos to him. Uh, DC versus vampires. I think you read this last week, right? It was really good. Yes. Um, Monkey Prince. Are, you're not reading this. Monkey Prince number six. Uh, basically, that. oh, you are okay. As, yeah, did you read it this week? Yeah. So, what did you think? I really liked it. I really liked it. Um, I mean, it, we're doing Aquaman villains. You know, uh, Black Man is involved. Uh, I like yeah. the like giant crab monster thing. It, and they're yeah, the expanding kaiju. the backstory of that character as well. Uh, the the monkey prince himself and showing like what his father did and all that stuff and talking about journey to the east or journey to the west. Um, forgive west. me, I'm zoning on that book. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was a great issue. I really liked it. Yeah, I also like the reveal at the end that um, his father is trapped and he like in the phantom zone and then he gets it he gets like a signal that he's going to be coming for his son yeah um prodigy number one the icarus society this was a uh a mark miller book that they're redoing basically you find out you know it, it's like it's it's like mark miller's version of limitless but by by the end of this issue we find out that he's being attacked by someone and there's a whole society of these people called the icarus society of these ultra smart ultra like talented people that can get away with anything. So uh, I think it's a cool setup. And I, and I, then there was like the whole Mark Miller thing of the guy who made himself have like monkey hands, which is kind of hilarious, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I think it was a good start to the next set of uh, story. Uh, Rogues. I think, um, is this the, no, this is not the final issue. Uh, This is three out of four. Uh, Really good. You know, they're, uh, Snart is in Gorilla City with the rogues to steal the fortune there. Um, obviously, things don't go as planned. Um, and with all the bad things happening, uh, they find out that they captured uh, Gorilla Grodd's son. So then he wants to use him to negotiate for the gold at the uh, with Grodd because they pretty much know they're not getting out of there alive. And that's going to be their bargaining chip. Um, and then I had Army of Darkness versus Reanimator, uh, Necronomicon Rising number one. I've never gotten into the Reanimator at all. Um, and like, and uh, and, and then like the crossover and like who that character is. Uh, but basically, the moral of the story is like. Uh, the reanimator um, revives the evil Ash and he like creates a body for himself and he's going to be running around, you know, causing havoc. And then uh, basically Ash is just trying to do his own thing and have a, have a meal in the diner. And then the dead show up and he's basically like, why am I the one that always has to deal with this? And she's like, well, you're the chosen one you need to fight. So he's like, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll fight with you. Um, and that's kind of where it leaves off. It was a good issue. Never, I like that. I mean, I love me. Yeah. I've never seen Reanimator. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So now like but 20 is, people out there are really mad. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
But that's all I had this week, Chris. Uh, okay, I'll be quick with mine because there, there's a lot, but um, yeah. Uh, Town Call Terror number four. Uh, basically, the, the our hero of the story um, is in his father's mansion and his father zaps him to another dimension. I think it's either purgatory or hell. Um, and he ends up meeting or finding his mother and where she's been hiding. So there's some secret that his father's keeping from him involving his mother. And um, it involves dark magic and I get the feeling that our the lead character is like some sort of demon. Uh, last issue, we found out he had these giant like bat wings and all this stuff. So it's uh, still a really good book. Great art. Uh, enjoying it. Punisher number four. Um, I'm still along this ride out of morbid curiosity, but I'm not really enjoying it, to be honest with you. It's So basically, Ares is mad that Punisher is now worshiping the hand, and he believes that he should be worshiping or i'm sorry that frank is worshiping the hand and he believes that frank should be worshiping him that he's worshiping a false god and all this shit and on the other side uh led lady uh bullseye finds him and tries to kill frank uh when he unleashes the the demon inside of him and uh kills him and like this whole thing so it's it's weird i don't know (laughs) i don't like this punisher like heel turn that they're doing um, eight billion genies number three, which was we had the 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 Asian couple. the The guy had to go and like settle a score, so we get that story of him like, and it's basically an excuse for him to run through the world and show how like crazy it's gotten. And uh, all mm-hmm. the genies have told them that like. There's still four billion of them out there, so not everybody's even gotten their wish. And we also get that some people are wishing to like bring people back from the dead. So like Jim Morrison's in this issue because somebody wished him back from the dead and to of have sex with him apparently. And oh, awesome! <laughs> he ends up at the bar and just wants a drink, and then he just explodes because something happened on the other end that like ended his reincarnation. And they said that what happens is when the person who wishes somebody back to life dies, the wished person also dies. A really, really great book so far. Um, can't recommend that one enough. Uh, quest Aside number three was basically uh, the the guy running the bar finds some kid and he ends up training him. And it's just in time because the king has sent his men to uh, take over the bar. And uh, apparently kick him out. So, and there's a lot of going on in the back uh, side of the story. Like uh, the skeleton cook ends up quitting and then coming back. Uh, his girlfriend like breaks up with him. A bunch of like weird sitcomy stuff. But another great book that I highly recommend. Uh, Barbaric, the Harvest Blade number one. This is kind of an intermediate story in between volume one and two, where. They, he goes on this mission and he ends up finding out that one of the women on the mission is this thief and she ends up backstabbing everybody and using him as like a catalyst to try to get this mission done mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole backstory with her where like her people and these like demon looking people lived in the same town together and the demon looking people kind of enslaved them and then oh. forced them to do these things and now she's getting her revenge and taking the town back um, really good book, but it, it, I'm looking forward more to volume two. Uh, 
Yeah, me too. Uh, we'll leave those for later. Uh, Moon Knight number 13. Uh, Moon Knight's angry at the head of the vampires, so they're fighting. And at the end of the book, we realize that something has triggered Moon Knight and uh, brings out his other identities again for the first time in the series. And it just ends with him saying, like, we need, we all need to talk. Uh, also in this, we find out that Taskmaster is afraid of Moon Knight, and he's the oh. only hero that he will not take a mission to uh, attack because he believes that Moon Knight is one of the only heroes that will go over the edge. So that was kind of a cool reveal with uh, Taskmaster. Wow. Daredevil number one, uh, Chip and uh, Chichetto back on the book. This is just a setup for what they're doing. It's a lot of what was going on in uh, Devil's Reign, where they were talking about like how they're going to start this new organization. They're going to go like fight the hand and blah, blah, blah. But they yep. do... It's kind of his last goodbye to New York, so he has a, a one last mission with Spider-Man, which is really cool. And... Electra goes and meets with Stick and recruits him to help them as well. So Stick's going to be in the story as well. Um, really great start to the story. And I think you really don't need to know the prior run or Devil's Reign to get into it. Uh, because it kind of explains... It doesn't explain Devil's Reign, but that's not important. What's important is like what his mission is now and where he's going. So I really liked mm-hmm. it. Axe Eve of Judgment number one, which is that Avengers X Men Eternals crossover. This was the this is the prelude book to the actual event, and it was the ju- biggest waste of time I've ever spent. Um, yeah, apparently the Eternals are mad at the X Men, and the Avengers aren't mad at the X Men, and the X Men are like just chilling on Krakoa. And the Eternals have found a reason why they need to eliminate all mutants because there's some sort of deviant like spawn or something, so they say. Um, mm. It all sounds a lot like a uh, metaphor for World War II to me. But <laughs> it was kind of yep. like just a one giant setup and just way too wordy of a giant setup. Uh, but I, I'll, I'm still going to pick up Axe because I'm a sucker for that shit, but... Yeah, the prequel, not worth it. And then my last book was Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Superman, number one. Um, I did read that, too. Uh, unless you're a giant Chris Burnham fan, I don't think this is worth your time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the story of how John, like, decides he's going to go and fight this war when he turns 18 and it's told like two pages at a time, two pages for one year of life. And mm-hmm. it's just very short. <laughs> it's one of the few times where I'm like, this is way too short. So I, I wasn't a big fan of that one. Yeah. But Mike, that, that was, was everything uh, I had who... this week. Okay. Uh, Tom King was good, Chris. That. Yeah. I was going to say that was a Tom King book. Yeah. Interesting. I forgot to say, too, there's an Aquaman backstory, and it was okay. Um, Aquaman's king, and something happens, and like everybody's friends in this universe. I don't know what that really... It was very confusing and just like <laughs> cluttered. Um, they're trying to tell an Elseworld mm-hmm. story in one issue, and actually half an issue, because it was two stories in one, and it didn't work very well. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to keep not. buying them. Uh, 
But anyways, Mike, that was all I have this week. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show? Well, they can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter and at FortressComicNews.com. Also, the show can be found on Twitter at FortressComics underscore. Uh, if you want to support the show further, remember to like, subscribe, share, comment down below in the YouTube version, and to give us a five-star review on the podcast version um, on whatever podcast you use. Also, patreon.com slash fortresscomics. Thank you all so much for listening this week and dealing with technical difficulties this week. And we will see you all here next week. See ya.